Today I'm going to focus on how we worship, and then next week, Lord willing, uh, Pastor will speak on when we worship. Um, I don't have a handout, um, mostly because I'm, I don't want you looking at that. I want you interacting with things I'm going to throw at you to comment on and ask questions of you and hopefully get some interaction. So, um, so broad outline, I want to talk briefly about the regulative principle. We've talked about that in the past, uh, not that long ago actually, so that's going to be fairly brief. Uh, then I want to talk about uh, sort of the elements of worship and, and then end with a, uh, a, a brief discussion of what's called the dialogical principle of worship. So um, probably would be useful to have uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith open in front of you uh, to chapter 21. We're going to look at various bits and pieces of that. Uh, we've referenced that actually throughout this um, uh, s- short series on worship. Um, yeah, it's in the back of the hymnal, sorry, if you don't know where that is. So, yeah. Thank you, Carl. So, um, so let's talk, uh, like I said, briefly about the regulative principle of worship. Um, Calvin said it like this, God disapproves of all modes of worship not expressly sanctioned by his word. And we have that uh, codified, shall we say, uh, in the Westminster Confession 21, uh, section 1, where we read, But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in Holy Scripture. Um, This is perhaps distinct from what we might know as the normative principle of worship. Uh, Very loosely, that says that if it isn't expressly forbidden, then it's permitted. Um, I think you can find folks that hold to both camps that actually look very similar. Uh, there's, a, there's a broad, uh, there's, there's a breadth of understanding of the regulative principle that you'll find um, that we might not even recognize as, regular, as the regulative principle. There's also a breadth of, um, of practice when it comes to the normative principle. Uh, but those are the two broad camps, so to speak, uh, as it, when it comes to worship. So the one, the regulative principle says we may only do what's commanded. The normative understands that if it isn't expressly forbidden, we may do it. And I'm not going to get into all of the distinctions of elements and, and, uh, and so on and circumstances of worship. I think, Pastor, you're going to cover a little bit of that next week in your lesson. If I'm not mistaken, you were, you were, at least you had mentioned that you were going to go there a little bit. Um, so... So, um, so to continue then, um, Randy actually forwarded me a very interesting little article uh, late uh, last week uh, by uh, Mike Livingstone, I think. I don't know who that is, but um, it's, it was called uh, The Heresy of Worshiptainment. So he coined a new phrase. Um, I have a couple of quotes from here, one now and one a, a little bit f- uh, further along in the, in the lesson. 
um, to really highlight uh, what it is worship is about and, and why we're gathered here and who the spotlight is on. Um, Livingston writes, if the figurative spotlight in our church services is on anyone other than God, it is not worship. If the spotlight shines brighter on human performance than on the gospel of Christ, it is not worship. If anyone other than Jesus is receiving our adulation and our applause, it is not God we worship. Uh, and that's a, that's a quote from that short little article. And if you're interested, I could forward you the link to it, and you can read the rest of it. So, um, and, and again, I'm not going to go into all of the details um, of you know, why we hold to the regulative principle and why the Westminster Standards uh, uh, teach it. Um, I'm just going to point to a few passages, Exodus 25, 40, uh, where the Lord says to Moses, and see that you make them, that is, all of the articles and, and, uh, for, the, for the tabernacle, see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. With a very clear instruction that, no, Moses, you can't design this yourself. You can't just wing this. You can't just decide, yeah, you know what, I think I'm going to make an altar that looks like this. No, God was very specific in how he wanted everything made. I mean, if you read number, or Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and so on and so forth, those, those instructions are incredibly detailed. And from that, we get the principle, or at least the beginnings of the principle, that we can't just do what we want when we worship God. We can't just approach him in any old way we want. Um, think of Nadab and Abihu uh, offering unholy fire to the Lord. Uh, just think of Cain's sacrifice in Genesis uh, 2 and 3. Uh, or, yeah, no, sorry, 3 and 4. <clears throat> um, Abel's sacrifice was acceptable, and Cain's was not, or was not accepted. We aren't given the details about why, but there was a sacrifice that wasn't accepted. There was something inherently missing, um, probably at some level that had to do with Cain's heart. Um, and then uh, just Exodus 20 as well, you know, the, the, second, or the first and second commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything, etc., etc. Uh, again, God is being very particular about how he wants to worship. And so that's, uh, you know, briefly summarizing uh, sort of the basis and, and the background uh, for, for the regulative principle. Um, I don't know if that other lesson in your series, Pastor, uh, is on the website, but there were, you, you, you covered the regulative principle in much more detail in the, I think, in the Doctrine of Man, maybe, or I forget what series that was in. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, so um, I also want to just briefly mention um, a few things from Kevin DeYoung, um, another pastor. Uh, this was a TGC article, the Gospel Coalition article from 2012. And I really liked um, a, a, an emphasis that he made. So we so often think, or we're tempted maybe, to think of the regulative principle as a list of don'ts. Okay, we can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. Okay, no, we can't do that either. Um, he says the heart of the regulative principle is not about restriction. It is about freedom. Um, and he lists five things that the regulative principle gives us freedom around. One of them is around cultural captivity. Um, we don't have to follow all of the trends and um, different directions that our society goes. 
it's just very simple. I mean, it, it takes some things just basically off the table. We don't have to waste energy discussing some of these things. Um, freedom from battles over preferences. I might want things one way. Randy might want it some other way. Brian might want it in some other way. Um, and not that there isn't actually a, a huge variety of uh, styles that could develop out of a regulative principle, uh, but there's just things you don't have to fight about because they're off the table. Um, Freedom of conscience, and this was one that I was only introduced to a, a year ago and have come to appreciate. Um, so if I as an elder or as we as a session start putting things in the worship service that God doesn't specifically require in his word, and if a brother or sister has an issue with one of those things, then I have no basis to say, but God commands that we do this in worship, and so how can you have an issue with it? So if if all we have is what God has commanded, then everybody is consci- everybody's consciences should be free when they come and worship here. Um, and so it really frees and liberates us uh, when, we, uh, when we come to worship. Um, and then freedom to focus on the center. So as, as the Livingston quote that I mentioned earlier uh, brings out, uh, it, we just, we're just unapologetically focused on Jesus Christ and worshiping him, and worshiping him alone. All of the rest just falls by the wayside. So, um, you know, some will argue that, you know, being culturally relevant in our worship, well, it works. We're winning souls. Tozer, in this article that you quoted, has an interesting response to that. And I don't mean by this to demean the fact that the Lord, by his spirit, can use all sorts of means to bring his chosen ones to, I mean, he calls Zacchaeus out of a sycamore tree, right? <laughs> um, it wasn't as part of some worship service that was governed by the regulative principle. Uh, but Tozer says, winning them to what? To true discipleship? To cross-carrying? To self-denial? To separation from the world? To, crucifi- to crucifixion of the flesh? To holy living? To nobility of character? To despising of the world's treasure? to hard self-discipline, to love for God, to total committal for Christ. Um, And that's what we strive to do here, is to make that gospel message so clear and so focused uh, on our Savior. So, um, now one of the things, and I have to be a little bit sensitive to time, um, is how many of you have seen, this is the Book of Church Order of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, how many of you have seen this? the seminarians and a few others, <laughs> or I mean the officers and a few others. Um, so I spent a little bit of time this week, re- I mean, I've read in and through the form of government and um, the, uh, the book of discipline and so on, of co- and of, as, as, an, as an elder, of course, over the years. I've not read it exhaustively, but read in it many times, but I've never really spent a whole lot of time in the section of this book called the Directory for Public Worship, which was revised sometime in the last 10 years, I think. I think there was a fairly major overhaul of that. Um, It's delightful, actually, to read. Um, Some of the other stuff can be kind of dry, and (laughs) if this happens, then you shall do this, and if that, you know, it's it's legal, and it's very, uh, and we need to have that, and I'm not not saying that, but uh, there's some wonderful material in there um, on on worship and what a worship service should look like. Um, and uh, so on, in section one on the principles of public worship, um, 
I'll just read uh, a few lines. Uh, this is uh, 1B7. Um, where is that? There we go. Just, again, to flesh out the, the regulative principle and what, what we're here for. The end or the goal or the, why we're here of public worship is the glory of the triune God. To that end, Christ builds his church by perfecting the saints and adding to its membership such as are being saved, all to the glory of God. Through public worship on the Lord's Day, God calls his people to serve him all the days of the week in their every activity and enables them, whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, to do all to the glory of God. God's people are to be led to engage in all the elements of worship with a single-minded focus on God's glory and with a humble and dependent expectation that the exalted Lord Jesus Christ himself will edify them and build his church through his appointed means of grace, all to the glory of God. And I didn't add those all to the glory of God. Those are in there. I mean, the emphasis is so much on we worship to glorify God. So, and that actually segues us very nicely into the basic elements of worship. And here's where I would ask you to, uh, to take a look at uh, WCF, the Westminster Confession of Faith 21, uh, sections 3 through 5. If I could have uh, a volunteer to read each of those, or one, one for each, one for three, four, and five. Carl, you want to do three? Uh, someone uh, please read four, Brian, and someone read five for me. Uh, I'll call on somebody, Randy, okay. Uh, so go ahead, Carl. Brian? Prayer is to be made for things lawful and for all sorts of men living, for they shall live hereafter, but not for the dead, nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned, but sin, have sinned, but sin unto death. And Randy? The reading of scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching, and conscientious hearing of the word of obedience unto God, with understanding. Okay, thank you. Um, so we see a number of elements of worship um, uh, explained here. Uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer 108, adds an additional one. Uh, so we see prayer, we see the reading of God's Word, we see preaching, singing, the sacraments, and then if we add in the Westminster Larger Catechism 108, then we also have uh, the giving of gifts as the ordinary uh, elements of worship. And then there are also four um, special elements, the oaths, vows, fasts, and thanksgivings. Um, 
what, what I find interesting and, and, and helpful about these three paragraphs of chapter 21 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is that it doesn't just merely give us a list of you know, prayer, reading, preaching, etc., etc. There are all sorts of additional words in these three, um, in these three paragraphs. Uh, what, are, what are some of those more descriptive words? Uh, words uh, used for uh, for these elements. Yeah, Mike. Yep. What other descriptors are in there? I'm I'm looking at things like it doesn't just say singing. What does it say? Prayer with thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, all of those things. Singing with grace in the heart. Um, and I'll cue you for your uh, soliloquy on that one uh, in a few minutes here. <laughs> I'm sure you know. I, I still remember the lesson where you, uh, where you spoke on that years ago uh, about singing with grace in the heart. So you've, you've forgotten by the looks of it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's those... Uh, I mean, we could, we could speak about those various elements, and we will briefly, but I'd also like to, to have us think about, well, what, is, what does all of that mean? What does it mean to sing with grace in the heart? What does it mean to, um, to uh, where is it here, uh, the reading of scriptures with reverence or with godly fear, the uh, sound preaching, conscionable hearing or conscientious hearing? What, what, does, that all, what does all of that imply? So... Um, and in the interest of time, unfortunately, uh, I mean, I have obviously a bunch of scripture references. And if you have the Confession of Faith, there are a whole series of scripture references for all of the points in all three of these paragraphs. Um, so uh, any, any questions, by the way? I thought I saw a hand go up, but it was out of the corner of my eyes. So, okay. Uh, so let's, let's talk about prayer a little bit here. Um, so what are, what are some of the things in 3 and 4 particularly uh, around prayer uh, that maybe struck you as we as we read that okay okay that's a good question what does it mean that we shouldn't pray for those who have sinned the sin unto death um, and i and i I have the uh, um, the modern English version in front of me here. Um, so why wouldn't we pray for someone who we know who has sinned the sin unto death? I'm going to just throw back out there and get you to interact with stuff. I know, Pastor, this isn't great for the recording, but... <laughs> He's already condemned to death. Um, okay. I mean, maybe I need to ask, what is the sin unto death, Right. <laughs> I mean, in my understanding, the sin unto death is a, is, is a continual, obstinate, persistent denial that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for sinners, that God is God, um, and it, it, is, it isn't, a, it isn't a, a one-time thing. It is a persistent denial of the deity of Christ and of his work to save sinners and so on. So, um, and, and, and it is... I, I would imagine that we would only uh, bring this 
short section of that paragraph into play in extreme circumstances. Uh, we wouldn't want to cavalierly say, no, nah, he's sinned the sin unto death. There's no hope for him. He's gone. Uh, we're not praying for that person anymore. I think we would all agree that we would pray for our, our unsaved loved ones, for instance, um, diligently and persistently and passionately before the Father that he would bring them to faith. So, so just uh, back to three for a second here. Prayer is to be offered with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance. Um, so with understanding, uh, we, we pray knowing what it is we're praying for as best we can. Um, I mean, all of this is, for me, with, under the umbrella of the Spirit takes our, our, our words, which, which we often mumble uh, and, and, and groan, and we don't know what to say, but the Spirit takes those and perfects them before the mercy seat of the Father. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can just cavalierly come to the Lord in prayer and just eh, mumble something off and, yeah, you know what, the Spirit's got this, He knows what I meant, and, and He'll take it and do something with it. Um, we need to pray with understanding, knowing what we're praying for and what, the, what God's words might say about a particular situation. Um, we need to pray reverently and, and, and with humility. Um, I mean, the Lord's Prayer teaches us that we are to come before a, 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 a heavenly Father. Uh, we don't, this isn't, you know, um, a chat with a buddy um, over a coffee at Starbucks. Uh, we're approaching the creator of heaven and earth uh, the creator of all things, the recreator of all things. Um, and so we need to come in an understanding that we come unworthily uh, before a holy God and, uh, and not, and not uh, puffed up uh, or arrogant in ourselves or anything like that. Uh, with fervency and perseverance, uh, where might we look in Scripture for, uh, for that, for those uh, adjectives? Yeah, parable of the unjust judge, exactly. Um, we, we need to pray uh, with fervor and with perseverance um, before the mercy seat of the Lord. Um, and then faith and love. Um, if, if we, we, we need to pray trusting that God hears us, uh, trusting that he's our heavenly father, trusting that, he, that we are his children, uh, that he desires to give his children good gifts, that he will give us good gifts, that he will answer our prayers, uh, perhaps not in the way we expect, uh, but in the way that is absolutely best for us. Um, and so, uh, and with love as well, um, you know, we need to pray uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a passionate, in a, in, a, in, a, in a loving way to our Heavenly Father. Uh, and, and also in that, demonstrating our love for the saints uh, as we pray for them. So, and then also for all things lawful, um, we, we, need to, we need to pray for those things that God has commanded us in his word to pray for, to seek his face for, um, and, uh, and not just for, uh, well, certainly not for things that are diametrically opposed to his will. Um, we know what the answer to those prayers will be. Um, so, any questions on that before we move on to the reading of Scripture? Um, so, re- reading of Scripture is obviously an element or a part of uh, our, our worship. Um, and, you know, we can look at Luke 4. Jesus comes to Nazareth, as was his custom, and he's given the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads it. 
Uh, we can look at Acts 15, where, where uh, you know, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath uh, in the synagogues. And so we have you know, clear biblical example of the reading of Scripture in worship services. Um, so let me let me throw this out there. So um, what what does it mean that we are that the <clears throat> excuse me that the word is to be read with godly fear? We're in the presence of God. Yes, we should be in awe of Him. Yep, yep. What else? So what would irreverent look like? Okay. Yeah, Mike. The word of God is holy and we're not, yeah. I mean, it is the word of God. I mean, it's, it's not just, it's not Mark Twain or Shakespeare or whoever, you know, the latest authors are today. I mean, this is God's holy word. And we have to approach it in, in that sense. Um, so uh, much more could be said about that. I mean, I think there's also, yeah. Yep. Yep. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yep. Um, I mean, I think there's also implications for uh, pastor and us as, as we stand up here and read God's word. Um, I think we need to do our best to not just come well, what's the uh, what's the, what's the what's the scripture reading this morning? Okay, and then just look at it and hope we can read it uh, in, well, uh, and so that we lead the congregation appropriately as well. It takes preparation on the part of those who lead worship to uh, to, to to understand what they're reading before they read it. Uh, I would encourage, especially the men of the household, as they read the scriptures to their families as well, to take time to learn how to read the scriptures carefully. So that even through your inflections and in your pauses, you try to explicate what the passage is a little bit, to try to give the sense of the clauses and what's connected to what. Um, that's a skill that um, you can get better at. Um, I wasn't good at it 25 years ago when Edith and I started up our family, but um, I think I'm a little better at it today than I was back then. So, um, Preaching, sound preaching and conscionable or conscientious Hearing, um, so preaching also. Um, I mean, we can look at Second Timothy four, right? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort uh, with patience and teaching. Um, and here too, we have a, a list of you know. We, it's in, it needs to be in obedience to God, with understanding, with faith, uh, with reverence. Again, the word reverence comes uh, up three or four times in these in these short paragraphs. Um, uh, and again, uh, this, this requires um, a lot of prayer on the part of our pastor as he studies God's word uh, every week, as he seeks to bring God's word to his people every week. Um, he needs to do that uh, soundly um, in, in full reliance on the Spirit, as I'm sure he will tell you if you asked him. Um, so, singing with grace in the heart. What does singing with grace in the heart look like? Or maybe better, what does it not look like? And you don't have to answer that out loud. You can just answer it. Yep. 
Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we, yeah, Carl. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's, we, we aren't sitting here as spectators. We don't, this isn't, you know, we don't come to an arena to watch a sporting event here. We come here to actively participate. I mean, if you go to a football game, the most you can do is yell and cheer. There's nothing else you're going to do to affect the outcome. And well, yelling and cheering doesn't probably affect the outcome of a, of a football game either. But um, yeah, so, and in fact, I have a, another quote from uh, the DPW here in a minute as well. So, um, you know, not all of us are great singers. Um, some of us are much better at it than others. Others of us do our best, and uh, we trust that God hears our praises as well. Um, but yeah, understand the words that you're um, that you're singing. Um, take them to heart. Let your face maybe even show that. Wow, this is amazing! What I'm singing about here. Um, so I'm not going to belabor that, um, but I mean, I do, unfortunately, you know, as an elder, I look around and, and see who's here and I don't, I'm not looking, okay, are they singing properly or whatever, but um, yeah, you, you sometimes see people that are just, you know, I mean, there's, you can barely see their face move or their lips move or whatever. Um, we're singing about, as, as DJ said this morning, about the gospel and the glories of the gospel. There is so much wonder there to be singing about and to be praising God for. So um, let it show. I mean, we're not dancers, but I suspect uh, Brian and Diane probably see me swaying with the music. So there's got to be some Baptist blood in me. So <laughs> somewhere, I don't know where that came from. But um, so um, just uh, we only we have uh, is that 57 or 51? I'm going to say it says 51. I know it doesn't, but <laughs> um, just a, another section from uh, the Director of Public Worship. By the Spirit of the exalted Christ, God draws near to his people and they draw near to God. They come by grace to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, joining innumerable angels in all the people of God in joyous and reverent communion with him. God's people not only are to come into his presence with a deep sense of awe at the thought of his perfect holiness and their own exceeding sinfulness, but are also to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise for the great salvation that he has so graciously wrought for them through his only begotten Son and which he applies to them by his Holy Spirit. All are therefore to worship with sincere devotion, reverence, and expectation. Public worship is to be conducted in reliance on the gracious working of the Spirit of the exalted Christ, which alone can make anyone capable of such sincerity, reverence, devotion, awe, expectation, and joy. Hence, from its beginning to its end, public worship should be conducted in that simplicity which manifests dependence 
on the Spirit of Christ to bless his own ordinances. Accordingly, the whole congregation should assemble promptly, that all may be present and may join together for the entire worship service. Unless necessary, none should depart until after the benediction. All should refrain from any behavior that would distract other worshipers or detract from their communion with God. So there's a lot of wisdom that has been put into uh, some of these paragraphs of the, of the uh, Directory for Public Worship, uh, sort of working out what the Westminster Confessions work out, and they're, and they're working it out from the Holy Scriptures, of course. Um, and so there's a lot of wisdom in some of those things. Uh, briefly, then, the dialogical principle of worship. So we've talked about the regulative principle and what the focus is. Uh, we've talked about the various elements Okay, so now what order do I put these various elements in? Um, And in Reformed and Presbyterian circles, uh, we often speak of what's called the dialogical principle of worship. And I'm just going to, I have another relatively lengthy um, quotation here from uh, the Director for Public Worship, uh, Part 1C, uh, that speaks to this. but also, and I'm, I'm going I'm to read a bit and comment on it as we go through here, and I realize I'm already at noon. So. Um, so this is, again, from the Director for Public Worship. Because a service of public worship is in its essence a meeting of the triune God with his chosen people, a worship service consists of two principal parts. So this is a covenant meeting, a meeting of God with his people, and there are According to the Directory for Public Worship, there are two principal parts in that worship service. Those elements which are performed on behalf of God through a representative like our pastor, and those elements which are performed by the congregation or through a representative voice of the congregation. By his Spirit, working through the ministry of the Word, God addresses his people in the call to worship in the salutation and benediction, in the reading and preaching of the word, and in the sacraments. His people, enabled by the Holy Spirit, address God in prayer, in song, in offerings, in hearing the word, in confession, and in receiving and partaking of the sacraments. It is advisable that these two parts be made to alternate. And so I want to I pause briefly there. So We've talked about, so there's elements of worship or parts of the worship service that God is speaking to his people, but then there are also parts where the people are speaking back to God. And so it's a dialogue. That's, that's where the word dialogical comes from. Um, it isn't all just one way or that way. It's back and forth. And so if you look at your bulletin, and I, I'll let you do that on your own time, um, and in fact, I think we've laid out the bulletin in a way that emphasizes the dialogical nature of the worship service, um, you can see how there is this back and forth. Um, so, um, so that it isn't just one, a one-way, uh, one-way street. So, um, and then just uh, one more section here from the Director for Public Worship, and then I'll, uh, I'll close us in prayer. The triune God, and this is basically saying some of what I've already said, is not a passive spectator in public worship, but actively works in each element of the service of worship. 
Neither are the people of God to be passive spectators in public worship, but by faith are to participate actively in each element of the worship of the service of worship. And we've already mentioned that we, you know, about this, this, this we're not spectators. Public worship should be conducted in a manner that enables and expects God's people by faith actively to embrace the blessing of the Lord in the salutation and benediction, to pray with him who leads in prayer so that the prayer being uttered aloud becomes their prayer, to attend in the reading of God's word to what God reveals of himself, his redeeming actions for them and his will for their lives, to confess together with all the people the faith of the church, to heed the word of truth as the sermon is preached, and to appropriate it to their lives as God, through his servant, proclaims and applies it, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the praise of God and the edification of one another, and to offer their possessions and themselves together as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Um, so that's basically working out the elements and what, each, what our active participation is in that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and, you know, there's an interesting line in here that I hadn't seen before, although I had come across somewhere else, that when we're singing psalms here together, we're singing them to Christ, but we're also singing them to each other. We're encouraging each other in the faith as we sing those psalms together. Um, you know, I'm not just saying to God, what a Savior. I'm saying to all of you, what a Savior. And we, we build each other up in that, and we encourage each other in that. And um, so, questions, comments, emotional outbursts? Um, emotional outbursts? Yes, absolutely. So, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer then.